Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. It's a little bit uh, like going back in my career to do a presentation for a mixed group of people. I, uh, the last training trip I did for our business was in uh, the last year I worked full-time, which is 2019. And uh, I said to my wife, I haven't talked to a group of lay people probably since I did supervisor training at uh, the city of Rapid City. Uh, for many, many years back in, uh, oh, I think probably 2008, uh, the city was our second customer in this community, and then uh, we're blessed with a few more, which has been a great blessing over the years. But part of what I did for in my career is uh, back in 1987, I was a practicing mental health counselor in Rock Valley, Iowa, Northwest Iowa. Some of you can ring a bell for those small communities and some of you don't. But uh, had a friend call me. Is He was the uh, administrator for a 14-county mental health center based in Spencer, Iowa. He said, I got a call from a industrial nurse at the uh, at the plant I'm trying to think of the name of the company right now it was an Eaton's corporation plant in Spencer about 400 employees and they want an EAP and I said Pat what are you doing with the Environmental Protection Agency he said no Andy you got it backwards EAP not EPA okay so that was my history for the last about 33 years of my career. And uh, always grateful to uh, Eaton's Corporation for making that call to Pat and for Pat making the call to me uh, because uh, that gave me an opportunity to do something besides see people in my office as a mental health counselor, and it's been a lot of fun since. However, I just tell you some of that to tell you I'm kind of rusty in doing these kind of presentations. I've had two years off. Uh, I've done a few presentations at professional conferences, but not any to the general public. And one of the things, as, as uh, Cal was mentioning, one of the things that is close to my heart is giving Christian lay people the initiative, the confidence, and the tools to love same-sex attracted people back into the community of believers. Did you hear how I said that? To love, yes. So there's a lot of lies floating around, and the lies are being shouted so loudly, men, and you know that. The media is full of lies. Well, one of the biggest things we fight as people who work hard as professionals trying to get our professional organizations even, and we've had some success, by the way, to acknowledge that the born-that-way myth is exactly that. It's a myth, people. There is no such thing as a born sexual orientation. It doesn't exist. And for any of us who are honest with each other, think about this. 
Anybody in this room, would you dare say that from the time of your puberty till today, there wasn't a temptation to become a pornography addict? Anybody want to dare say that? We all know that that is behavior that's repeated, and in our world of mental health, we call it obsessive-compulsive patterning equals addiction. Okay, now you know where we're at, okay? Now, the difficulty thing, and that's, my wife said I had to do this next slide. She said because we see this LBG, and then she can't think of the next initials, so... Uh, let me get this thing going. Okay. There we go. Okay. So, uh, L, lesbian, G, gay, B, B, bisexual. And by the way, this if we go back to this one, uh, pretty much the general terminology is gay activist crowd or the gay activist community, which kind of encompasses everything that's on this side. Just uh, bisexual, transgender, queer, and some gay advocacy groups contend there are more than 100 possible identities. And I, I'm, so I'm going to suggest to you that they're going to tell you that you need to come up with more than 100 pronouns pretty quick. Yeah. About, and, and if you don't come up with 100, huh, I, won't. <laughs> I won't go there. Okay, sexual expression, idolatry, culture, mode. Made, the major mental health associations and most universities cannot be relied upon to provide balanced information on sexual orientation, particularly in areas where gay advocacy interests are high. I think we all knew that. And I like to label the idol god sexual expression. I don't know what else to call it. That becomes the idol. Hate to say this, Ronald Reagan introduced a no-fault divorce in California in the early 70s. What does that have to do with sexual expression? A terrible lot. Then we go back to the hippie era, free love, right? Sexual expression is number one. Or at least sens sensations that I can create in my system. So chemical, uh, chemical mood alteration and sexual expression become number one. They, uh, okay, let's go. I've not heard a gay activist voice acknowledge that he is teaching from a religious position, but he is. And the God, again, is sensation-sexual-expression. That becomes the idol God. And certainly every one of us knows how, to fight, knows how to fight that or you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. Okay, and that's the power of Jesus Christ. Failure to articulate one's supreme being, or God, does not erase reality. Presuppositions exist whether acknowledged or not. I think we all know that. Keep going here. Christ our Lord must reign in our mind, will, heart, and body. Pure reason. Here's what you will hear from the humanist left. Pure reason does not exist. There's no such thing as pure reason. Because the natural reason of actual human beings is a religious act that is already influenced by the central religious disposition of the heart, whether fallen or renewed, either for or against God. Pure natural reason, favorite terms of the humanist, does not exist. Romans 8, 5 through 8 will tell us that real quick. And in 1974, when the American Psychological Association 
made a decision, and I'm embarrassed to say this because the world I live in made the decision that homosexuality was no longer a disorder. It's very interesting. The task force in 1972 that was assigned at their annual conference to, to study and come up with a position on this issue, literally the gentleman, the activist who headed up that task force, in writing we can find his comment about we don't want so-and-so on our task force because he doesn't agree with our worldview. Now, is that a religious statement or is that a religious statement? And it's actually, that's documentable, it's in writing. Thankfully, little, little nudges of encouragement once in a while in the world, and that is that that particular uh, uh, proclamation back in 1974 when it was passed at their annual convention, has been, they have backed away from it. And a lot of that has to do with a lot of good studies, good empirical work that's been done that show there's absolutely not a genetic component to sexual orientation, okay? And we have to thank our, uh, our Swiss, it was Switzerland, that did the, the very tight genetic study, and it lasted over 19 years, where they followed 300 sets of identical twins. And when that... When that um, study came to the fore, it was, I think, uh, 2004 when they finished that 19-year study and they published the results. And of, of those 300 uh, sets of identical twins that they were able, 300 they were able to follow for all 19 years. They started out with like 420 or something. And anyway, it's incontrovertible. The identical twins are not the same sexual orientation. Uh, I think there was 0.07% of that 300 or something like that, actually where both of them had, had a either same-sex attracted orientation or one of the other uh, 120 varieties of sexual attraction. So after that study came out and then more studies of good folks, and uh, I'm not, I haven't prepared you a handout for today, next time, you're going to get a handout next time you're going to work harder than you are today, next month, and you're going to get a handout. But uh, I work with a group that's called, it's way too long a name, the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice and Scientific Integrity. It's way too long a name. But the piece of it that is the biggest contribution this group has made, and the group was formed, I think, in 19, 1977, three years after that proclamation by the APA, the American Psychological Association. Anyway, uh, there's a gentleman named Christopher Rosick. There's uh, Dr. Christopher Rosick, Dr. Paul Solens. He's a father in Catholic Church. Uh, probably the two North Americans who are the most knowledgeable and expertise in terms of research, research analysis, etc. And one of the great gifts that this group has to offer. The only thing, when I talk about that group, that group to this day, their mission is still just to serve professionals. So part of my battle right now, I'll be perfectly honest and I'll, I'll solicit your prayer for this, is we have three people on our board. Well, we have two people on our board and our executive director of that group right now are uh, LDS out of Utah. 
and they are absolutely dragging their feet on our providing this kind of information to the body of Christ worldwide. And so it's uh, your prayers, we'll solicit your prayers for that. Uh, we've, we've got to somehow work through that relationship with our Mormon brothers and sisters, and uh, it, it's, it's, we're in the middle of the battle right now. The emails have been flying this summer. So uh, I'm going to be meeting, we're going to be a face-to-face meeting in Orlando in September, September 20th, that week. And I uh, really have to pray that the Lord will give us clarity to maintain a relationship with these people who believe the same things in terms of sexuality, but they don't want our group to be anything more than a professional support group. They don't want us going out and doing things like this because that's religious. And, of course, we know that they're not, they're not even near as religious as the gay activists. Okay, enough of that. Let's keep going here. Sexual orientation, gay activists. Oh, this is this is just from our website. Sexual orientation is not immutable. Many people experience significant fluidity and change in the same sex attraction, including those engaged in sexual attraction, fluidity, exploration, and therapy. This is what we call ther- the therapy we do, safety. Okay? Sexual attraction, fluidity, exploration, and therapy. Just don't have to memorize that. Kind of let you know what our vocabulary is. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn did the Harvard uh, commencement address in 1978. I can almost guarantee you that after that year, they will never, ever ask a Christian to do that again. Okay? Here's what he said. Solzhenitsyn said, Western thinking has left communal obligation behind, replacing it with an individualistic humanist view, ignoring inherent evil in human nature, assuming individualistic freedom. A little later on in the speech, fashionable trends of thought and ideas are carefully separated from those which are not fashionable. Good words. I don't hear that said to it. Resulting in media, press, mass standards that are imposed. So, gentlemen, you all know this. Your granddaughter goes to college for the first year. She comes back, and maybe she sang in the praise team in her church, right? She comes back from college and says, I'm a lesbian. Now she wants to sing in the praise team that summer when she comes back. What are you going to do? Why does she believe she's a lesbian? How prevalent is the lie? The stuff I've said already said this morning. How many people in the United States have ever heard that? The words that we've covered so far this morning. Now, isn't it a comfort to know that the God of the universe took Joseph out of a well, and where did he make him? He took Daniel as a as a captive, and where did he make him? Yeah. That's our job, guys. That's our job. This morning I'm going to ask you to live a story. It might produce pain for some of you. It may produce guilt, guilt feelings in others, <coughs> because the origins of same-sex attraction and other sexual distortions do have their roots in the isolation and loneliness of very young children. We'll get into that in just a minute. 
So living my story, we have to realize we're living in the cultural moment. We could say a lot more about the cultural moment, but I'm not going to say a lot more about the cultural moment this morning. Rather, we're going to review who's sitting here this morning. I'm going to ask you to each review in your own head your experiences, especially as it relates to a story, insights from a personal story, okay? And that means that each of us then want to, we have to, de, you have to discern, be honest about our own personal story as we address people like the granddaughter, the niece, the sister, the brother who came back and said they're same-sex attracted and they've been bombarded with this lie about born that way, okay? So we're going to, I'm going to ask you to discern your personal story. That's why I'm not giving you a handout this week. Next month, if you dare to come back, then you're going to get a handout. <laughs> so living my story, what's my reaction to this topic? Reflections of a self-identified homosexual who as an adult found freedom from compulsive same-sex attractions and behavior. And by the way, there's, you just, if you, if you do a web search, and you ask uh, Voices of the Silenced, uh, you, you just enter in there, uh, homosexual change, and you'll find more websites, and there are more wonderful testimonies now appearing online that are going to be encouraging. But I'm gonna, next month, I'll give you a piece of paper that gives you some of those websites, because I don't want you to think about that so much. What I want us to think about now is my role who I am and what I have to do and where I have to look at my own story, okay? Okay, here's some reflections from our homosexual friend who, by the way, today is married, has two grandchildren, has been married for 31 years, I think, and just is a wonderful testimony. But this is his story, people, okay? Homosexual feelings are not the problem. Gay porn is not the problem. Addictions are not the problem. Where did this come from? I want to tell you a quick story about my own life. I think it must have been about 1994. Jolene and I adopted a little five-month-old baby girl. And uh, the little uh, black fellow you see running around with us and he was around for six weeks this summer again that happens to be a son of this particular daughter that we adopted at five months old this little girl was uh, we, excuse me I lied to you we adopted her at eight months old she was in a foster home for five months she was only with her birth mother for three months of her life from birth to age three and this just tells us a little bit about how important those first very first experiences for an infant are. When she was two and a half, three months old, a elderly gentleman who happened to be an uncle of a person living in a home with this little girl's mother reported them, and he was, it was interesting, he could hardly talk English, he was Laotian, and he reported to social services that this baby was being thrown in a closet when these people, adults in the home were shooting up with drugs. This baby was thrown in a closet with a pillow over her face when she cried. 
because it irritated them as they were getting high. And so he reported that. Interestingly, social workers told us later that a neighbor lady also had observed that and had reported it. So two people reported it. At age three months, the state of Nebraska took this baby away from her mother. And she went in a foster home for five months, and we adopted her at eight months of age. Now, when an infant is born and the infant is upset, what's so important to do with that upset, crying infant? S-O-O-T-H. Soothe. Soothe. In healthy families, with healthy people, mama or daddy picks up that baby, and what do you do? Only three months of her life did this child, the first three months, not was not soothed when she was terrified and panicked. Now, thank God, she's functioning pretty good. She's a full-time nurse aide, and she has little Jamal. She went and had a child, of course, out of wedlock and uh, has little Jamal, who we love dearly, and you all, many of us have that experience, right? And to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm helping Monica, is the name of that daughter. She's 29 years old this year, I believe, 28 or 29, I'm not real sure. But to this day, I'm, I was helping her with enrollment. He's being enrolled in a little Christian school in Pulsbo, Washington, and I was helping her with that, and she gets to the point where she doesn't quite understand what the application says. Now, this is a bright girl. She tests IQ test, no problem, 115, 120, something like that, no problem. But she gets where she doesn't understand something, then she gets scared. Guess what happens? Fear turns into rage. And we know that infant who wasn't soothed for the first three months of life there was some things that stayed in the frontal cortex that didn't go from left to right brain because that's exactly what happens when a baby is terrified and is soothed, immediately goes from left to right brain or right to left brain. And, then, and so what we get is we, what we call is that uh, interaction between the sides of the, the halves of our brain. And this, uh, this is real elementary. I mean, it's more complicated than that. But essentially, it stays in the frontal cortex. And so when it, nothing gets resolved, terror turns to rage. So then we, oh, Monica, let's hang up. Uh, let me study this for a moment. And why don't you call back tonight? And let's see if we can figure it out. Once she calms down, nothing wrong with her mind, thinks it through, she usually can figure it out. That's the first three months of life, guys. Now, tell me that homosexuality doesn't have something to do with the first three months of life. It does. It does. In fact, it has something to do with a lot of parts. Okay. Further testimony. The problem from this gentleman's standpoint is trauma is the gateway. Oh, what did I just describe to you? Yeah. Child abuse is the gateway. Aha. This one is huge, and you will never convince me that teaching a child in kindergarten about transgender is anything but this. 
Neglect is the gateway. This is where it gets scary for us people. Because uh, daddy disappearance is huge in people's in, in young men's lives. I think 52% of all young men today do not live, grow up with their biological father. Something like 52, 53%, something like that. Okay. So this gentleman, beautiful man that he is, by the way, he's also an excellent therapist. By the way, he's also a therapist who uh, was involved in the Ninth District Court decision in Florida and the four states surrounding Florida, uh, the first decision where the court threw out the municipality's right to make a rule that says you can't do therapy with teenagers, uh, you can't, what they call, yeah, sexual orientation change therapy. We'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep going here. Further testimony of the problem. Okay, we got that one. Uh, trauma is a gateway, child abuse, sexual, yeah, neglect is a gateway. Let's keep going here. Okay. Childhood trauma, yes, even in sincere religious families. Parent emotional absence or dependency. And now here's where we all have to go to our own history and recognize that maybe... You know what? There were times that I wasn't there for my kids like I should have been, right? And people, we cannot let that stop us from reaching out in the name of Jesus because Jesus made us new. He made us new enough so we recognize that we maybe had that mistake. We were a bit absent, especially us men. Yes. Daddy, what we call daddy-deprived boys, in, in multiple ways, doesn't just mean physical. Okay, uh, a good friend of mine, he and his brother, uh, happily heterosexual, his oldest brother has uh, labeled himself, identified himself as homosexual, and I think his oldest brother is in his 60s now, and he's still identifying himself as homosexual. And my friend says, the big difference was myself as a middle kid and the youngest child, my younger brother, we were all... Both of us were good athletes. Our dad was an athletic nut. He just was nuts about athletics. And his oldest son had no interest in athletics. His oldest son was a musician. Yeah, yeah. We have to own some of that sometimes, don't we? That's why I said this is a tough one, guys. Negative family systems, abusive and or disconnected peer group experiences, usually, like the young boy, uh, my friends, they had the three boys in the family. The oldest boy had very negative, disconnected peer group experiences because daddy kept trying to shove him into basketball and kept trying to shove him into football, and he was, he was not skilled or interested in that. So is that connected? Yes, that's connected. Is it the root cause or the only cause? No. No, but it's connected. It is connected. So that's why we have to be ready to let the Lord do what he's going to do with us so that we can then minister to people with, you know, this belief system, which we're, we're not going to change. Who's going to change that belief system? The Holy Spirit. But who's going to set the boundaries and the, 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 the setting? Jesus' servants are going to set that setting. Okay, so, by the way, the next 
The uh, next program is called the Jacob's Well Encounter. Okay, so next month we're going to talk about how do we do this, and we're going to use Jesus and the Samaritan woman as example. Yeah. Okay, living my story. Contemplate. Where did, for just a minute, where did you go, as we walk through my friend David's story? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but any of you go through remorse? Just a little remorse from past experience. How about a little guilt? What do Jesus' followers do with remorse and guilt? They lay it at the foot of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He grabs us by the shoulders, he picks us up, and he puts his arm around us. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he does. So be ready for that. He might put his arms around you in a new way in the next month, I hope. What's your story? What about my same-sex attractive family member, friend, acquaintance? They also have a story. Same-sex attractive. I just throw that out. SSA we talk about. And then, of course, the alphabet soup. Creating space for your story. I love this. Uh, I know, uh, uh, by the way, I love Pastor Ron. And uh, after a year and three months or so of worshiping here, I love his prayer. Lord, get me out of the way and speak to us through your word and spirit. Yeah. Well, Pastor Ron maybe wouldn't quote Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen's one of my very favorite authors. He's a Catholic. One of the remarkable qualities, here's a quote, one of the remarkable qualities of the story is that it creates space. We can dwell in a story, walk around, find our own place in the story. The story confronts, but does not oppress. The story inspires, but does not manipulate. The story invites us to an encounter. Now, it's not just an encounter with Jesus. It's an encounter with our fellow believers. And it's going to be an encounter, people, with our SSA friends and acquaintances and all the other labels, the 140-some or 60 or however many. The story invites us to an encounter, a dialogue, a mutual sharing. A story that guides us is a story that opens a door and offers us space Now think just a minute about Jesus talking to that Samaritan woman where we're going to go next month. The story that guides us is a story that opens a door, offers a space in which to find, search, and in which to find, search, and ah, establish boundaries. I skipped a word there, sorry. To help us find what we seek. But it does not tell us what to do. It does not tell us how to do it. One story brings us into touch with a vision. And I want everyone here to know that every person sitting here can walk in a vision of healing and grace. For some of us, it's easier than others. But we can walk in a vision. In other words, 
we can experience our story in a vision of healing and grace. And we can begin to see how even the most hurt of us can become gracious and healing. Because Jesus walks in and he heals us. Our fellow believers around us encourage us. And then we can reach out and walk with somebody else in a story that doesn't make any sense to us. In a story that is totally propelled by lies and a failure to acknowledge good empirical evidence, a failure to believe in good empirical science. I think I'm finished.